0: Listener production. I acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and pay my respects to the traditional owners past and present. I acknowledge that First Nations across the continent have never ceded sovereignty and that the First Nations are the first lawmakers.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Black Matters. This is a podcast that's about First Nations matters and, most importantly, why they matter. My name is MC from the Hit Radio Network. Joining me as she does every single week is First Nations advocate, Tila Reed. It's always so lovely to see your face. Oh, yeah. It's
0: great, isn't
1: it? You meant to say something like, it's always nice to see your face as well.
0: (laughs) It's always nice to be here. It's the highlight of my week. Good. Correct.
1: Better. And if this is your first time joining us on Black Matters, you're wondering who we are, why we spell it B-L-A-K, go and check out the podcast trailer. It's called Who Are We and Why Black Matters. Now, on the podcast this week, we are joined by another very special guest, uh, another person that I would hate to see her LinkedIn profile. It would just be never-ending, all the things that she has achieved. Was the assistant coach for the inaugural Newcastle Knights NRLW side, helped coached the Gillaroos in the World Cup last year, head coach for the First Nations Gems Women's Championship side and the assistant coach for pretty much every rugby league side on the planet, Uh, also a teacher and now working as the NRL Pathway Strategy Manager. I think that's all. Go on, Tila, bring her in. Welcome your mate and guest of Put Black Matters.
0: And it is Jessica Skinner. My Tita, I am so excited to have you
2: here today. Wow. Honestly, when you read that out, I still... Yeah, I don't know how that happened, honestly.
1: And probably only scratching the surface, right? That's only like just some of the things that that you have done and continue to do.
0: And she's so trailblazing, honestly. She's actually someone I look up to. Can't wait to talk more about what you do.
2: First and foremost, thanks for having me on. I listen to you guys each week, so I actually love the whole concept of the podcast but also the topics that you cover, the people that you have on. And for you to say that I inspire you, it's actually the other way around.
1: (laughs) Now, before, before we talk about, you know, all the incredible things you're doing right now, not just for rugby league, but for regional communities and, and, and First Nations aspiring athletes and coaches, let's talk, let's, let's take, let's go all the way back to where it began. Uh, you grew up in a small town just down the road from where Teela and I grew up in, in far western New South Wales in good old Trangy. What was it like growing up in Trangy for those that have never been and why should they visit Trangy?
2: I think everybody that I ever talk to about where I live and where I'm from, I always call it God's country. It actually is a really unique part of the world. We actually feel like we're a little black hole that people sometimes miss, but in a positive way. We're a community that just get things done for for each other.
1: I'm assuming uh, that like our upbringing, it's no different in Shrangi, that sport is such a huge part of where you're from and everyone just plays sport and it's a way that really brings the community together.
2: Yeah, massively. And traditionally it's rugby league, netball, hockey, athletics. So the same as every other country community, particularly for females, it was really athletics and, um, and netball or, or swimming if you're in the summer. So all those things come, come from it. And I know for my parents, it was a way of keeping me and my siblings out of trouble as well.
0: How have you found that female representation in, in sports?
2: Yeah, it's something that's definitely growing as we speak and you can see with the Matildas in you know their World Cup going and the amazing stuff they've been able to achieve. Shout and out
0: to the Matildas. Like my, know, right? kids and my family oh. like can I go wait, like, watch the Matildas? I was like, "Oh my god, I need to go find some tickets. Like it is so good to see." I was going I was going to oh bring up gosh. the
1: Matildas later in the podcast, but we might as well talk about them <laughs> now. They're absolutely kicking us. I just feel like the Matildas have become Australia's team. like Traditionally, it was the men's test cricket side and whatever, cool, they're in the ashes, they're doing great, that's awesome. But I just feel like for someone that works in professional women's sport and just professional sport in general, how does it feel to see the nation embrace the Matildas?
2: Yeah, it's so good, particularly to see women achieving and that it is plastered everywhere. It's on every social media site, television site. So the women are des- getting what they deserve. Prime time, sellout crowds and record sellout crowds too. Um, and I was just in Sydney last week for the day and, and I just, all the signage around Sydney. But for out here, like my my daughter has never picked up a soccer ball and wants to be a soccer player. Like that's the <laughs> impact it has. We don't have a soccer club here, but I've got to find one. It's massive. And It's so great for the growth of women's game and and the female coaches and that's who I always like to highlight because sometimes we forget about the, the women in that space and the trailblazers there and... Oh, it's amazing. And speaking it's, about, yeah. you know,
0: that representation and what you've seen, you did see a gap back home in women in yeah. league and you've made your, yourself now all the way to the top of the NRL. Tell us how you kind of approached that and just started to kind of elevate women in sport in kind of your own space.
2: Yeah, I think, and I would say my own space, I don't know if I uh, elevated them in other spaces, but it really just started out with teaching. I, you know, when you're starting a new role. I was a young mum as well. I wanted something to do outside of school to connect with my families, my kids and what everybody else does in a community. They go to their local rugby league club and get involved. And I actually had Uh, a really great group of friends around at that particular time who had come from the South Coast and moved to Trangy and had spoke about the concept of league tag being quite prominent up there. And so like, well, actually, that's a way we can get women involved in the game, you know, not just at the canine or on the fence or cleaning up and all those sorts of roles that come with it, um, washing jerseys. And we had to fight a few battles. It took a little while for us to get it past that, to have women in that space. But those gentlemen that are involved in that process now will always come up to me. They're the first to message me when I've done something or congratulate me. But we'll always say that that saved our, our remote and our country clubs, having women in the space, more games, more people coming, more volunteers. So it's actually kept
1: Bushwoody alive. What were the obstacles uh, that, that you faced in getting to that point, from just an idea to having this competition being played by women every weekend?
2: Yeah, it was actually just showing and dinosaur men that women can <laughs> play the game, <laughs> um, to pull it frontly. Um, yeah, so it was just, you know, women belonged um, within the game on the paddock just like the men. And my own agenda and interest in it was tackling some of the social issues that we have within our region. So being able to use the game to bring women into that space, it also improved the behaviour of the men during that time, but also it became more of a bigger community to grow.
1: Can, can you expand on those struggles and social issues and how something like a league tag competition is improving things for the community?
2: Traditionally with country sports and particularly rugby league, alcohol is associated with that culture. You know, you go back to the pub after for a boat race, not, not against that. That was actually one of our goals too. And we were there, we wanted to win that as well as the game. So, but traditionally that culture comes with it and with alcohol comes other social issues, domestic violence and, and financial struggles and things like that, that, that are around that within the community already. But during the footy season, it's sort of gets heightened and so having women in it it was more like we go left to the club you've got children and women in that space now there's a, a sort of code i suppose for men to be able to follow like don't behave this certain way and don't act this certain way and it's sort of we sort of saw that social issue decrease a lot
0: has sport been a vehicle to be able to as well dismantle bigger stereotypes about our women in the country
2: massively spaces that i sit in um i think still men will think that, oh, she's just um, a country girl um, or she's a black fella over here. She'll just keep quiet. But until I open my mouth, they're like really quite surprised that I know a lot about the game and um, actually probably a little bit more than they do and, and the processes that go into place with that. And um, I think that our women now are finding their voice within this space and taking on leadership roles within their community. With And it starts with being an administrator or being a coach in rugby league and then it inspires them, well, what do you do in the off-season? Well, I might start a touch comp or I might then jump on the board of my lands council or I might jump on the board of my community action group So it, or into another sport because, as you know, in the community you're in multiple boards and you're multiple members of different types of sporting organisations. And, yeah, we start, I've started to see those flow on effects and even to the point where it's in my school where I see some of our women just jumping into leadership roles in education as well.
1: How does Jess go from teaching in Trangy to to kickstarting what is now a thriving competition for women in far western New South Wales to working for the Gillaroo's and the NRL? How how does At this the
0: happen? The World Cup <laughs> <How does> <laughs> in <laughs> this France happen? and winning the I World mean, Cup.
1: <laughs> Talk us about wow. <laughs> that journey. <laughs>
2: It, it, I think for a lot of people, and this is what we do as mob too. we don't really talk ourselves up that much. So um, we're quite humble and sometimes that undoes it. So I actually went to the World Cup and didn't tell my community at all. I told my mum and dad and my, my siblings, but I didn't actually tell my community. I just sort of went and people then started asking questions when I hadn't been home for a while <laughs> and my kids were home. Um, so I... I how did I get there I think that um, I, for me all I wanted to do was become better and a better role model for my community and for the women in rugby league I wanted to become a better coach so that they had the right like you know access to a bet the best coach I remember I coached a little uh, under 16s team it was a, of a rural remote girls here in New South Wales the Murdy Park under 16s in 2017. We jumped on a bus, three days driving. We pulled over these random paddocks to train. These girls never played rugby league. And we went to this CAS um, Academy comp and we actually won two games and we got demolished in three, don't get me wrong, but we, we played these two games and I just left there thinking I didn't give and, and it was an all-Indigenous, the under-16s team. I just didn't leave giving them my best and I felt like, oh, there's so, much, so many gaps in my knowledge of this game and how do I get them you know, I just felt like that there was an opportunity to have real change for those 20 women. And I actually still carry their photo with me because they drive me as well. I want to do better. So, Yeah, I took on um, just any opportunity to learn. I was sitting outside male sheds to listen to the coach halftime talk. How did he motivate them when they were behind or in front? I put my hand up to wash jerseys just so I could go in at the start of a game to listen to the coach while I'm setting them up. So I just sort of did all those little things. And 2017, there was a big push for for the Western region to go into tackle and I just straight away put my hand up. I said, "I the only the only way I know I can coach is if I have my own team at a, a higher level." And um, started my journey there, and just found myself in 2019, being invited into um, the Prime Minister's as the assistant coach. And from there, I was in a part of the the coaching development for Jillaroo's. And I guess that eager to learn and want to do better is probably what caught the eye of Brad Donald, the head coach, and. And also my passion for our people too. Um, we need to increase representation of First Nation women at the elite level, and I put that to them as well as, as well as coaches, administrators for First Nations. And um, you know, I'm pretty lucky that I didn't deter those people of power away because I'm very feisty when I'm in those spaces.
1: <laughs> You've achieved a lot of incredible things, as we are quickly learning. I just I just want to double check something. Is there anything named after you back home, Teela? Any, anything at all? I mean, I'm still waiting for, like, a grandstand to be named after me. Anything um, that you can think of named after you? Not a, I should no. say not
0: a single thing. Not no, important no,
1: enough. No, nothing named after me. Uh, we're, we're only chatting to someone who has a competition named after <laughs> her, the Jessica Skinner Cup. Talk about it. I an know, right.
2: <laughs> And that is actually one of the highlights of my career is when, you like, I can leave. I think actually this is funny. I can come back to Trangy and no one makes a fuss about any of this stuff. To them, I am still Jess Skinner that has cultural obligations to this community um, and obligations to the young people. And it's you need to be here this time and you've got to get this done and we need this signed off. And I love that I can come home and be treated like that. It also keeps you very, very humble. So when a competition's named after you from your mob and from your region here, that is like one of the biggest highlights for me because... I, not, not that it's named after me, but the fact that it is a competition named after a woman in the region for other women to be able to see that. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a bit of a mind blow, but it is one of the one of the ones I'm proud of and really humbled by.
0: I love how it doesn't matter what question we ask you, you always come back to the community work, mm. what's happening mm. at the grassroots in your community, and I am just keep. Wanting to ask you though, what was it like coaching an Australian team on the world stage?
2: Intense. Like I, I think, and I think intense as in um, we were already tipped to win. Being new into that space, you felt that if we didn't win, that was definitely probably on the coaching staff more than it was the players because the players are amazing. But the experience itself, I learned a lot. Um, one was. Being away from family and country, I don't like to stay away f- for too long. But I was in another country and um, taking on that challenge as well. So that was good. I was um, for me and my two babies to be separated, to see our resilience, and know that we can get through that. That was one of the biggest lessons. But. That whole experience was, it was just next level professionalism, next level, like the female athlete has changed even even since 2017 to to 2022 World Cup. Just the difference four years has um, in performance and lifting the standards of our women within their knowledge of the game. I think the proudest thing for me in that moment, I'm not too sure if you guys watched, but um, traditionally we have three national flags, right, and two of them, traditionally in a setting like that, a World Cup, those flags aren't allowed on the field. So I felt really passionate about that and we actually had the most First Nation women within our World Cup team last year and um, three First Nation coaches, me being one of them. And one of the things that we really wanted to hone in with our girls and the whole playing group was actually who are we representing when we're in Australia? Who are the people? And we all know that we're multicultural. We all know there's an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, you know, First Nations people within this country, but do you really know who they are and do you really know what these flags mean? And that for me was um, I felt like the biggest impact that I felt like I had on that campaign um, as well as my coaching and then that to me was I wasn't expecting that. And to have those yarns with those girls that are, Pretty prominent women in within our space to really engulf it, embrace it, and um, it actually led to us having our three flags in all of our games on the field at some capacity, and our First Nations women leading with that, and our non-Indigenous women embracing it and making sure that they say, you know, they're they're using language like we also want to acknowledge our First Nations people back home, wearing our our our. First Nation flags on our chest and making sure that every image that you catch of a Jillaroo and their staff, you will see those
1: two flags. So it's clearly (laughs) through people like you that representation is becoming easier and more accessible for not just women but First Nations women in rugby league and probably sport in general. And I'm assuming that's how you've ended up in your current position with the NRL as the Pathway Strategy Manager. Talk us through that and, and what that looks like for you.
2: Yeah, so after the um, I came off the back end of NRLW with the Knights last year, um, I was approached by the NRL to, and also Brad Donald to see if I was keen to to come and do some work between the two seasons, if you remember. But uh, 2021 season got postponed to the start of the year, and with that opportunity was the World Cup possibility, and so I. Left the NRLW space and jumped into the NRL space, uh, working for the business there. And what actually drew me across there was, uh, again, the real opportunity to create transformational change in the women's space but making sure uh, First Nations voices were heard along the way and perspectives were put into those strategies and those plans. So part of my role is not just looking at the Indigenous space but all underrepresented groups like Pacifica and Māori as well and being a proud Māori woman. My dad's Māori, my mum's Aboriginal, so uh, strong bloodlines there. Um, Really two spaces that are really close to my heart and my biggest heart is regional remote women, coaches, and administrators and referees. So, all of actually hitting spaces where I live and people like my communities across Australia, Northern Territory, the Torres Strait Islands. Like, we've got a massive amount of um, strong women up top there playing some awesome football. So, um, a part of my role is being able to run these cultural and development rugby league camps throughout the year, um, had the opportunity to live at The AIS last year, um, looking at women's health research, and you know, five weeks of an elite camp there, mob from the Torres Straits, from all down the coast of New South Wales, Queensland, but also regional. We had girls from Bree Warren living with us. Like that, to me, is like I'm I'm living my dream here, giving these girls the opportunity. Because what's work like? What's all this hard work for if you can't bring your mob along for the journey? So
0: I love how you explain how there's got to be so much more than NRL than just the origin and how you've just depicted all the different First Nations women particularly up the eastern seaboard and how they're engaging in this sport.
1: I can only imagine what the NRLW in particular will look like in a number of years when, when all this work that you're doing right now comes to fruition because the women's game going to
0: be is... a national Jessica Skinner competition.
1: Yeah, competition nice. out of the Castle yeah. League. Why yeah. not on the gold and, and that's right? what I was
0: just thinking. I was okay. just thinking as well, when you were describing all your work, I was like, yeah, it reminded me of like the Curry Knockout and how the women have some of the biggest hits and some of the rawest talent. And I played for your team one year. Yeah,
2: you did, (laughs) yeah.
1: Turns out one weekend. (laughs) 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 I'm picturing her.
2: (laughs) And like I was. No, true God. True God, I've got these amazing (laughs) pictures of her just getting Thinks she's, think she's a front roller like a little winger with a, you know, front front rower mindset, jumping in front. What a mouth guard
1: that fills the entire mouth of shorts and are falling down because <laughs> they're too big I don't even her. know... Hey. <laughs> I don't even know if we had a mouth guard,
0: let's be honest. I don't know. My nickname ended up being Bubble Wrap because I just had so much padding on I was, like, so scared to get broken bones. Oh, this but.
1: is outstanding. This is outstanding. What, um, Obviously, things have, have come a really long way in the short time that you've been involved professionally with women's sport. How long until we get a, a, a female assistance coach of the Kangaroos, if not head coach of an NRL side?
2: Yeah, um, definitely. I, like... I definitely know they're they're conversations that have been a part of um, the female pathways. You know, why stop at NRLW um, when you can coach NRL? There's a few hurdles still yet to jump to. Um, We actually, in the women's space, our representation is um, quite strong at the moment. You know, out of 200-plus athletes, we've got 37 First Nation women across those teams. We have six out of ten First Nation head coaches in the women's space, which is good representation. And for me, I would love... That 37, I'd love to be able to get it to 50 and then progress that way. For our men, it's not the same story. We're still working through that and and trying to increase the representation of men coaching First Nation men and and then obviously the conversation around females. I I don't think that you should rule out women coaching NRL, absolutely not. I think that there's a space for women in in there and different eyes on the game that that will bring such another asset to them. And I know I keep saying those words, but it is. It's not just the athletes that we've got to get through. It's it's also our people in other roles, physios, media specialists, and all those things that come with running an NRL club.
1: Here on the podcast <laughs> Black Matters, are uh, we believe that language matters as well. And, and through this podcast where we're trying to just teach regular Australians a little bit of First Nations language. And I know that you've got a word for us this week, Jess.
2: So I'm really fortunate to be able to live on Wadri country amongst the Wongobong people and learn their language and not just First Nations people in our community but all of our, our kids that are coming through our schools locally. And one of the ways we end our day is with a you which means laters, I'll see you later. Um, so it's always you with that little you. <laughs> So for me, yeah, go away you, you
1: thank you. You have a lot on your plate and we appreciate you taking out some time to join us on the podcast this week. Uh, you've obviously now got to sort out a Trangy soccer club because your daughters want to play soccer, oh. thanks to the Matilda. So you go do that, you've got a lot happening, but you're you're an <laughs> asset to your community, you're an asset to women's sport us. in this country, you're, you're, you're an asset to the nation, you're doing incredible, incredible things and we really appreciate you coming on Black Matters and having a yarn with us. No, i go Go away you. Go away you. Go
2: away you.
1: And don't forget, there's a ton more episodes of Black Matters as well for you to check out. Why we do an acknowledgement of country, the history of treaty and voice, and why we maybe should be considering reckoning instead of reconciliation. There's a big back catalogue for you to listen to. And if you love listening to us here at Black Matters and want to hear and support Australia's diverse and contemporary First Nations music, head over to Indigenous, the DAB station, which you can find on the listener app. Teela, as always, it's been a pleasure.
0: Yalu.